0: Welcome to the Yes Vision, a project dedicated to sharing inspiration from real people, combined with tools to allow yourself to say yes to a better self. I'm your co host, Saloni Hamani, and I am so excited to be sharing with you a story from a person who is pretty darn special to me my father, Harish Hamani. Harish, at 62, is an Indian immigrant living in Cincinnati, Ohio father of two, and an incredible husband, except when he leaves home to play golf five times a week. My dad has been a steady rock in my life, but our relationship has had a defining moment that I truly think is the reason I can now call him not only a father, mentor, confidant, but best friend. Today, he has so courageously agreed to share more about this defining moment, his journey as a cancer survivor. So to start off before we dive into your illness okay. from 2001, I think for us to just hear a little bit about you, your childhood, how did you get to the U.S., just a little bit of a background of Harish Amani, uh oh. back in the day.
1: <laughs> okay. I guess I'll probably sp- uh, speak a little bit about why I chose America first and then maybe go, go back into the childhood. In 1975, me, mom and dad, and my sister, we all came to America. My two older brothers were already studying here. So we came as a family to go around America and Europe. And I fell in love with this country and decided that I'm going to come back here. So I graduated with with a B.S. in India in chemistry and came here to do master's. So I guess the trip overseas made me realize I wanted to come here and not be in India. So, you know, that's probably why I'm here in America today. Growing up, you know, lots of cricket in the evenings. I went to St. Xavier College, which was supposed to be, you know, quite the, the in college at that time. And the culture there was more in line with what I wanted to do, you know, go to the States. So... It was very hippie you know. There was a lot of stuff going on there that piqued my interest. So mom and dad were not happy me going away so far, but
0: it was your choice. They let you.
1: Yeah, it was my choice.
0: Decide where to go. Yeah.
1: Said. So, and I. It, it's funny how uh, removed they were from any schooling decisions that we made. Mm. You know, dad was always busy, just with his business, working late hours, and you know, mom had probably no clue. So I think now I look back, she had a history of, I believe, schizophrenia that I think affected the family as a whole. So I just wanted to be away from that. You know, it it was not diagnosed at all. So we just didn't know what was wrong with her. So I just chose to kind of block that out and just be out more than I I needed to be.
0: What was that like?
1: It was difficult, you know, with mom being like that. So I think it affected everybody, all my siblings so they are all on the same path or just get out yeah. this is not a, an environment to to grow up in yeah. so i was youngest of the guys and i think mom had a liking to me so i kind of got away with a lot versus the other two even at that even being that i still wanted to be away from home yeah so i can ima- only imagine what the other three went through that but
0: so then after moving and coming to the states how did you get to Cincinnati?
1: So I got my master's at Ohio U in Athens and then I was working in Columbus as a chemist and then my brother's roommate was in the diamond business, came to Columbus, stayed with me and peddled diamonds in Columbus and kept telling me to come join him that we would form a different company, you know, and I was not making a lot of money. I was like at $28,000 $28,000 a year as a chemist, chemist. Okay. back in 85. And I was getting like $1,500 net paycheck. My rent was 700 which was high, but it was a very nice apartment. And I wasn't sacrificing any any of that. So I so thought, why not? Two months into it, I found out that he was not a business partner I wanted to be. So I told him that I'm going to quit and do my own thing. So I formed my company March of '87. So, three months, I guess, he did teach me about diamonds, and that's my formal training.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm 33 years as an
1: expert. That's right. I got my master's in 82, I got married in 86, April, and I joined the diamond business in October of 86. And then two months, I just took time to figure out how to form a company and all, and then March is when I formalized. Okay
0: a lot of
1: new things all at once. A lot of new things. And actually, so while I was working as a chemist is when I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. I think I was diagnosed September of 1982 that I have ulcerative colitis. And it's I was told it's a chronic disease. And you take your meds and you just manage it. Today we know it's an autoimmune disease, ulcerative colitis. But back then I was told it was some amoebic thing in your body that was latent when I was in India and it flared up in the US because I started eating meat. Of course, I stopped it after that. But is it true? I don't know, you know, it could be.
0: How was it discovered?
1: I was bleeding, I was bleeding a lot. So I did the colonoscopy and that's when they found out that the colon was all inflamed.
0: What was it like for you living with ulcerative colitis? What was it like for the people around you?
1: I think it was very hard on mom because anywhere we went, we had to first look for a bathroom because I could be in a mall and I would have the cramping, you know, diarrhea attack. And it happened probably four times a week. Wow. So, you know, when I had to go, I had to go. I think it was tough for mom when before you guys were born. And then it was, it it was tough. while we were doing stuff with you guys, but I think by then I'd figured out a way to manage. So what to eat, what not to eat, and the, I was on some better meds, but it was still an issue. And then in 2001, on a routine uh, colonoscopy, they found stage four cancer. It uh, went south pretty quick.
0: Can you talk me through from the day you found out, what do you remember about that day? What do you remember feeling?
1: Surreal. It was was surreal. You know, like you hear... I think mom and I went to the doctor for our colonoscopy and then he had called us in. So I kind of knew something was amiss. He didn't know at that time that it was stage four, but he did say that it's come back cancerous and, you know, we now have to take a second opinion to go to Cleveland Clinic. So as we are driving back, I know mom was pretty upset. And I I just sat there in the passenger seat just like you hear this cancer. And now I'm now I'm a part of the so-called elite group of people who now have cancer. So, no, I wasn't like, you know, putting my head in my in my hands and crying. No, I was like, shoot, I got I have it now. I got to figure this out. So Cleveland Clinic confirmed it's stage four. And it was uh, one month of chemo before the operation, along with radiation. The radiation was done separately, which was probably much worse than chemo. They wanted to shrink the tumor down. I I had actually rectal cancer. I mean, it's colorectal, but the the cancer was at, almost at the rectum, so they would aim the, the laser beam right there to shrink the cancer down. So it was five days a week for four weeks. I think the first one week was manageable and then the last they were pretty rough because it just got worse. You know, I, I think I sat in uh, Sid's bath and, and going to the bathroom was the worst, you know, passing stool, probably I was telling mom, you know, jokingly, you know, maybe this is worse than you delivering babies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah.
0: Were those the toughest months?
1: So the 30-day chemo was a machine that I had to wear. I could not shower for 30 days. Oh. It was, it was like a thing that was attached on me. Okay. And it was connected with an IV that pumped medication. So I had all this wrapped around me so I could just sponge my face and body. I couldn't take a shower. So that and the radiation, I think the combination of those two. And then after surgery, the first month where I I felt like I had no strength. Maybe first two months after surgery.
0: Are there times that you wanted to just give up and say, I'm done, this is too much? No. What was motivating you?
1: I think you guys were young. (laughs) I think you were probably 10 or 11. Ron was 12. So, yeah, then I had a business to figure out. So, no, I, I think I was just... You know, way too preoccupied with figuring all of that out. So no, it was never a question of i going to give up. You know, I just had to fight through this. And I think I could take a lot of pain. My tolerance was pretty high, but I think I had severe mood swings. And I vaguely remembered, but I'm sure I was not a a, a guy to be around. <laughs>
0: I still have this weird memory of wanting to show you a grade and like running up. You were always in the room. You were always up in the room when we would come back from school, especially on the the chemo days maybe or the radiation days. Right. Chemo 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 days. days. And running up to your room and being like, he's going to be so happy. I finally got this grade and you were really moody, upset, didn't want to talk about it, kind of got aggravated that people kept coming into the room and feeling a little bit like, Well, if my dad isn't gonna be happy with me with the grades I get, what's the point? You know, (laughs) I'm doing this for him, and you were the one that pushed us to really hard in that. You know, and so there are these weird memories here and there of of kind of feeling like we're in this weird limbo. Right. I do think mom protected us from a lot of things. Right.
1: I think she may have shielded you and Rohan from it to a degree, but so she probably took the brunt of it
0: you ever talk to her about it now? I
1: haven't. I mean, maybe now I will. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think we have talked about that it's, it's always tough on the spouse. I was a patient. I was just going through it. I mean, didn't have a choice. So she was dealing with, you know, friends calling, relatives calling, my folks calling, you know, because I was, I didn't want, I was not in a mood to talk to anyone. So kind of probably shielded me from all of that.
0: Now that you're able to look back on it, is there anything you would have done differently?
1: I think what I would have done differently, now uncle had told me because I have ulcerative colitis for so long that I should go take up an opinion at Cleveland Clinic. This was in 97, yeah. but I think I should have gone to get a second opinion. Yeah. And and then I think if I'd gone there, then they would have recommended removing the colon. So then I would have done it without having cancer. Then they wouldn't have taken the rectum and the colon out. They could have just done a resection. And I wouldn't have had the pouch that I have today.
0: What is the pouch that you have today?
1: It's called a stoma. When they did the surgery, that's what they pulled out the... It's you know end of my small intestine. The waste has to collect from that point in a pouch. And
0: that's an external pouch. It's
1: an external pouch. I think the first year was just adjusting to that and adjusting to the to the fact that you know now you can you can see your your waste being collected. I mean it's just the whole experience of you know, the cleaning of that, the cleaning of the area, the cleaning of the stoma. You just have to get used to it. Once you get used to it. You know, it's nothing. But today there are several colorectal cancer support groups on how to manage your stoma, what to eat, what not to eat. I mean, it's a lot easier for the patients today. And I would strongly recommend that they should seek out any of these groups that are out there. Yeah.
0: Who you were pre-cancer, pre this experience that you went through, post this experience, has your perspective on what's important, your goals, purpose for living, have they changed? Yeah,
1: yeah, they have changed a lot, you know, I was, you know, I I probably went from a Taipei to the other extreme, because it kind of gave me a sense of, you know, when you go through a life altering, possibly life ending experience, I can't be worried about small things in life. So I'm sure you and Rowan saw that. You know, not worry about your grades or not worry about, I'm going to make a little less money this year. And I think that all became really secondary. I think my focus became health. After the first six months, I got into a routine where I needed to get my health back in order. So, and I think even now I try and, you know, not bring in a lot of nonsense, day to day stuff and sit and worry about it. Maybe a little apathy <laughs> on, on a lot of issues. So probably my way of, like, you know, screw it, I think. I've dealt with bigger problems than this. Yeah. So
0: Can you think of maybe two or three words that described who you were prior and then two or three words that kind of encompass maybe either who you are or how you want to live now?
1: I think I was probably driven type A, judgmental, critical. And I think I've gone from that to... I want to enjoy my life, you know, just be positive. And when you do that, I think a lot of things change. So try and, you know, make everybody feel important. At least I try. And sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't. But I want to enjoy life today, one day at a time. Because I think uh, it's like bonus years for me.
0: Has your relationship Changed with the close people around you? For example, I think the one person who's been through it with you from the beginning, has that relationship changed?
1: Absolutely. When I reflect back, you know, there's always one person who was there. When you're down, she's, you know, bringing you back up. When your mood is down, she's up.
0: Mom? Yep. So, you know,
1: she's. She's a rock. So and I think she knows it. And you know, so that that completely changed our relationship. But yep. I think there was some, you know, tough couple years and yep, she was there. So
0: that's really special. Yeah. For someone who might be in this right now what is one thing that you would tell them that maybe someone told you or you wish someone had told you with this experience
1: I think the positive attitude really if you are going to look at this as why me and all the negative aspects of what shit I'm going to die soon it's it's not going to help you you know I think I call positive attitude some may call faith Some may call, you know, give another name, but I mean, this isn't going away, right? I mean, you have it, so, you know, we prepared like I wasn't coming out, but not in a bad way, you know, things can go south in a surgery. And I don't think that clarity would come if you don't have a positive attitude that no, this is going to work. So...
0: I think yeah what's interesting to me is as you're talking though it sounds like to overcome some of the fear and the challenge would you say there was a level of just acceptance of what is or what could be and that being maybe death.
1: I yeah yeah absolutely. I think maybe you're forcing me to dig deeper. I I was really not concerned that I may not live which is kind of crazy but I think I think that's almost uh, the attitude I had was Okay, I have it. Let's figure this out. And if I can figure it out, great. If I don't figure it out, the plan is laid out for them, and just did whatever was needed to do.
0: So it's just a level of practicality with
1: it. Yeah, I think I was it was that's the right word. I I became like okay, these are the cars that are dealt. There's no point in you know complaining or getting upset about it. Or so I was in 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 this mode of let's do this, let's beat it.
0: Is there any memory that you have in that time that stands out as a really happy, cherished moment?
1: The overwhelming support of the the friends and family. We had people taking turns to come and visit and stay. And so there were not one, there were multiple people who kind of really supported this, which, you know, a lot of things would have gone south without them. And, like I said before, come what may mom was there i I do think if she wasn't this strong and not as you know supportive in everything that was going on, it would be a tough journey, but it was never the case. She was just like okay, let's let's do this, let's beat it so yeah, before all of this happened, growing up in India you you generally don't talk about illnesses. I think coming here and then. Being with mom, I learned that it's okay to share, and I think that sharing makes it easier. Really, it does. People tend to not share. They want to share, you know, all the good stuff, and they hide what's really bothering them. I think you you have to you have to show your vulnerable side, and I think it goes a long way. It definitely makes it easier to face something like cancer. And one thing I I do want to say is people should do yearly colonoscopies, the mammograms, or I mean, any cancer mark suggestions that are out there, they should follow. So I think that's very important.
0: In the years that you have left, what do you want that life to be?
1: I think I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. I don't want to retire, but I also want to travel and play a lot of golf. (laughs) And I think I'm doing all of that. So, I think mom and I are enjoying lives right now. Really, to the fullest. And I'm not worrying about the small stuff. And it'll crop up every day, but I'm meta aware. (laughs) Love
0: it. (laughs) I feel like now, I'm almost glad that it happened because I don't know if I would have the relationship that I have with you if it weren't for your perspective change. Yeah. I, I truly think you're a f- different father to me and Rohan now. Yeah. And your values have instilled very deeply in, in Rohan and I, I think now. You take things a day at a time. Nothing is too hard to overcome. Right. You know, like when things are hard, they could be worse. Yeah. And so there is a bit of that, the mentality I think I, I take with me every day reminder that in the times of 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 fear and unknown that we were able to just say like we're, this, we're not you're not going anywhere that's right it is just the four i'm, of I'm us. still here yeah yeah that <laughs> yep. we're gonna we're gonna have and build a life together with the four of us yeah and let's, let's do it now and i think that when i was nine or ten never thought i would have as close of a relationship as i do have with you now yep and i do attribute that maybe to yeah, growing up maturing. But honestly, I think this was pivotal. It was
1: almost a blessing in disguise, yeah. kinda. Yeah. If this didn't happen then maybe it would be a different relationship altogether. So I think that the whole the relationship completely changed for the better. And I I think I think that's a silver lining to this whole cancer thing.
0: Well, before we close up, anything else you want us to know about your story? What's next?
1: No, and if this helps anyone in any way, even one person, I think that would be huge. I, I do think there are people out there who really appreciate hearing it, you know, versus reading it. This is, you know, this really brings it a little more closer when you hear a voice versus when you read so I think it would make a difference in how they look at things. So and you know, make a difference in one person's life, I think that would be huge. Yeah. So yeah. keep it up. Yep. Yeah.
0: Thank you for tuning in to episode two of the Yes Vision podcast. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as I did interviewing my father and in an effort to build community. We want you to connect with us and our interviewees via our Instagram page, the Yes Vision podcast. If you liked this episode, stay tuned for next week as we bring you more amazing journeys.